When Food is Your Drug, a discussion about emotional eating and ED recovery with Kristen Jones. This is episode 137 on the Alternative Health Tools podcast, where together we discover and share new alternative health tools and resources from alternative healthcare practitioners and experts. Hi, this is Kim Shea, your co-host for this episode of Alternative Health Tools, coming to you from this side of the pond here in Southern California. Today is Friday, April 2nd, 2021, and I get to speak to Kristen Jones today. She's a life coach and emotional eating specialist, and her goal is to end your overeating through managing hunger and your desire for food. She has a book available called When Food is Your Drug. You can get the link to it on her website. You can also get it on Amazon. She has a podcast called The Breakthrough Emotional Eating Podcast. And her website is called kristenjonescoaching.com. All of this will be in the show notes, but um, you have it here to listen to in case that's you don't want to go to the show notes, but you can go there and reference all that information. So Kristen, welcome so much to the podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you so much. I am honored to be here. And uh, I, I just love sharing information about emotional eating. Not many people really know what that essentially means. And so I like to try and, and spread the word and help as many people as I can. That sounds great. Why don't you tell me about your background? You sounds like you have an interesting backstory that brought you to this point. Absolutely. I probably started my struggle with food, but didn't really know what it was. And I was probably seven or eight years old. And I knew I got in trouble all the time. I was the youngest youngest child and got in trouble all the time. And so I'd be sent to my room and nobody would come and check on me. So I started to realize like, I might as well make myself comfortable while I'm in trouble in my room. So I would start storing food in my room and kind of having things, having food there available to me. And uh, food became quite the comfort for me. By the age of 16, I had pretty full-blown eating disorder. I was, um, I was never really anorexic nor bulimic or I, I, did some things more on the bulimic side, but um, was really just knew I had a very different and dysfunctional relationship with food. Um, it was a friend, but it was something I feared tremendously. I grew up in a family that was very um, weight conscious and very conscious about appearances. And so it became something that that was very, from a very early age, it was, it was really driven home that that was very important. And so it really got into my head, but I didn't know what it, I didn't know what it was. I just knew there was something wrong. And uh, it wasn't until I was probably in my mid thirties until I really was able to actually own that. Oh, I think there's something, I think there's something really wrong. I think this is an eating disorder. I'm not really sure what it is. And, um, and then I came to the conclusion that it was emotional eating when I was at a, a business conference and we were asked to talk or to do, a, we actually did a group meditation and the um, facilitator led us through this meditation about finding your purpose in your business. Um, I had become a, a personal trainer and I was starting my own business. I had been a school teacher for 17 years, but wanted to have my own business and health and fitness is something I've always been in. And so I had become a personal trainer and was trying to figure out the direction I wanted my business to go in and came to this 
this uh, meditation and all of a sudden the words emotional eating just literally dropped out of the sky. And I opened my eyes from this meditation and I was like, oh my gosh, that's not only what's what's going on with me, but that's the direction I need to take my business in. And um, and I had pretty much hidden from that for quite a while. I really hadn't hadn't owned up to it. I mean, it was at that point that I decided to write my book and um, and then completely shift my business away from traditional calorie counting and dieting to lose weight and 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 working out create you know working out and doing all the high intensity you know high intensity exercises to really focusing on the emotional side of weight loss and then subsequently went and uh, got certified as a life coach with a um, specialization in weight loss and that's where I find myself now and I have a business where I specifically coach women who have had issues with food. It doesn't matter if they've had issues from the last five years or if they've had it since they were they were very young, but I really help them address the emotional side um, of weight loss. And by dealing with not only with your thoughts and with how your brain works, understanding your brain and your thoughts, um, but also connecting that with how we feel about ourselves. And if we don't, I, I'm a firm believer that if we don't, if there's something that's not working in our lives, we need to address ourselves first and figure out what's going on with us and then take all the steps we need to really dive into where where the issue is, what the issue is, and really have it come from within. And I'm a firm believer that if we don't address our, our mental stuff first, the physical and the other life life things don't get resolved until our mental, until we are mentally in the right place, all that other stuff, we're just wasting our time. That's really interesting. Um, going back to when you were a child, did, did you ever discuss that you, like that you were hiding food or that you were different from other members of your family? You never brought that up oh, with anybody? No. Oh, no, there's house. a lot of shame, a lot of, oh, of okay. shame and, and, um, and just, yeah, we didn't talk about those things. And that's part of the problem too, is that I really wasn't, and and most emotional eaters, they they haven't either from childhood or they've they've grown up believing that expressing emotions and talking about how you feel is not the right thing to be doing. And so most people, and I think most people, I think a lot of people in general stuff their feelings and don't um and don't express themselves and don't feel the ability to be able to do it nor the permission to do it. And so it's one of those things where I always say if we if we stuff things down, the only place to go is out. And so when we stuff we stuff ourselves down, we have a tendency to go wide because I feel like emotions are in fact they are they're they're an energy within us. Emotions emotions are nothing but a vibration in your body and when you have all of these emotions that are bottled up inside of you, they are almost like an entity and they need to be fed and that's what we we usually do is we keep them just kind of keep them patted down. And oftentimes that's done with food. Hmm, that's really sad, it's, but it's nice because you can help people. I mean, what are some of the reasons that somebody would go this way anyway, have this emotional eating? I mean, like for you, you said you did it for comfort. Are there ever any physical causes that maybe like a thyroid issue or something like that, something that would cause someone to do this? Or is it all trauma-based? I would say uh, for somebody to be an overeater, that somebody who's overeats 
would there could be something like insulin resistance where your body is not able to tap into um, cues and signals that either you are hungry or that you're full. And so oftentimes there are physiological things that go along with somebody who has a, an issue with overeating. Um, insulin resistance is the first one that comes to mind. And that's your body's inability to respond to insulin as it comes into your blood into your bloodstream to lower your blood sugar. And so people in those situations constantly feel like they need to eat eating food. And so that's very different. Overeating is very different than emotional eating. And emotional eating, usually it it comes from a person's inability to address emotions. And so when something is within them is not feeling right, emotions oftentimes scare people. And what we all have to remember is, is that, as I said, an emotion is merely a vibration in your body. It's not going to kill anybody, but it's very uncomfortable. And most people don't like that, those feelings. And so like a person who drinks, a person who uses drugs, a person who gambles, when we want to do something to distract ourselves from something that's uncomfortable, this food is just one of those things that we put into that category of something that we divert our attention. Some people go online, some people play video games. Anything is fine until it's done to excess and it's done to a point where we are avoiding addressing other issues in our lives. And that's where it becomes destructive. Okay, so that, is that what you mean when you say food is a drug? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. How would somebody know that they're an emotional eater? Are there signs that somebody could look at? Because I'm guessing it's hard to have the objectivity to say, wow, I'm really, this is why I'm eating is because I have an emotional problem. As If you're using it as a drug, maybe you're not really aware, but what, what would they look for? Or how could you look like in your own children or something or your friends? Sure. Most people, as they get older, usually have a tendency to, unless you've had a, a very, a, a very, a very self-aware pair, a set of parents, most kids at some point have been given food as a way of keeping them happy or keeping them quiet or keeping them distracted. I think most people can own if you have kids mm-hmm. or you've in any way <laughs> taking care of kids, that is an easy way to keep them quiet and occupied. And it's, it doesn't seem like in the moment, it doesn't seem like it's something that could do harm. But what happens is all of us, when we're born, we all have, if we think about how babies are, babies let you know when they're hungry by crying and then you give them a bottle or you know they, they breastfeed. And when they're done, they're done. They let you, they push, they push the nipple away. They don't want it anymore. But when you're given food and you start to uh, uh, acquire an, an, a connection with, I'm not really hungry, but I'm going to eat anyway because this is put in front of me. That's where we start to lose that natural innate ability to recognize when am I truly hungry, like truly physically hungry, and then when am I full? That is, or when am I satisfied? That is the part that most people, most people know when they're hungry, although I will say that that a lot of my clients come in not really recognizing when they're hungry and they really actually feel more like they are constantly eating and there's a lot of fear associated with being hungry. So they just eat all the time. And so one of the things I try to teach people is how do you recognize one, when you're truly hungry and then when you are absolutely, when you, when are you satisfied and when is it time to stop? Most people eat past the point of being satisfied and eat too full or stuffed. And that just becomes an acquired uh, an acquired habit and a behavior that people just do because then they become very comfortable with that feeling. Yeah. You know, you feel good for a while. Does that tie into what you mm-hmm. just said about people have a fear of being hungry? Uh, yes. 
Mm-hmm. And that can associate that can associate a lot with how you were brought up. If food was plentiful when you were young, or not, especially what what I notice is a lot of times when people have grown up in an environment where either food has been restricted, where either a parent has been very controlling of food. Oftentimes, that's when like a parent doesn't want their child to get overweight, and so they really restrict what they're able to eat. That sets off something in 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 most human beings when we're denied something oh we want it so much more and so it's it and and kids take on that as well so then that the desire for food gets heightened it's not a need it's a desire and so their desire for food becomes heightened and then they start to lose that objectivity of am i really hungry or do i just want this because i'm afraid of not having hmm. it okay yeah i know i know a few people who struggle with that and they they can say that when they were children they were not allowed to have anything sweet, anything junk food related. There were real, very strict uh, rules in their house. And when they got to be adults and had control, then they just went crazy. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And that's and that's really, really, really common. And I think and 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 one of the things, and I write about this in my book that it's never about pointing fingers at anybody. It's never about saying, "Well, this person did this to me," or this. It's always about. It's always important just to know where where it kind of originated and then really just recognizing like, okay, that's the reality. That's where it came from. Okay, now I know where it came from. And now as an adult, I get to make better choices. I get to make different choices. And, And so there's a lot of relief when you realize, and that was the way it was for me, when I realized where this came from, it was like, Oh, okay. It's not that I just have no control because I just thought it was, oh, there was something wrong with me. And then when I realized, oh, this is just, this was just how I was raised. And so now as an adult, I get to choose a different way of doing things. I don't have to stay as I was when I was an eight year old. How long did it take you once you had this epiphany that this was your problem? How long did it take you to get onto a track where you felt comfortable, like you were going in the right direction? Right. I would say for me, and I was, and I was figuring this out all, all on my own. I had, I had had three bouts of therapy with, with traditional therapists who were, who were fabulous, but they did not specialize in working with emotional eaters. They didn't specialize with eating disorders. And so I got a lot of helpful and useful information, but because they, because they hadn't walked that, that walk before they, it was, it, they, they could only take me to a certain point. And then what I actually ended up doing was I got some help from a life coach for some money, some issues I had with money. And she took me through some visualizations and related it back to my childhood. And as we were doing them, I really started to have some breakthroughs in regards to these issues that I had with money. But then all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, I could do the same thing that she was taking me through, that she was having me do. I'm like, I thought I could do the same thing with my eating. And so I really started to dive into using the tools that she taught me. I really started to dive into my own issues in relationship and, and kind of shifted them over towards food. And then I'm a big, big fan of Brene Brown. And so I do a lot of, a lot of the work that I do with people um, is based upon um, a lot of work that she does and, um, you know, about rewriting your, your, your childhood stories. And so that's really what I base a lot of, of the work that I do with my clients is, is really about looking back, recognizing where it came from, and then taking steps to really 
change that limiting belief that we have about ourselves and rewriting the story and making it into something that is empowering and uplifting and allows us to be able to move forward as opposed to staying stuck where most people are. Okay, so you're talking about a lot of childhood things, but you did mention in the beginning that some people might have this be relatively young or new disorder. So what what might trigger something like that where a short term. I've had clients who have had, um, you know, the death of a child or oh. some sort of some sort of traumatic event that has happened that uh, that puts them in a place where they are so overcome by emotion and they and they just most people do not know how to process emotion. Most of us know how to react or we know how to ignore or we know how to deflect, but we don't actually know how to sit with an emotion and let it be present in our body and, and, and just have it be there and then let it dissipate and let it move on. Um, and so that's another thing that I, that I, I work on with my clients and I teach them how to do that. But oftentimes it is a traumatic, you, I think in most of the cases that I've been dealing with, it's been something significant, either a, a, a divorce, um, usually some sort of, of, I've had people who have, who have termed it as I've had, I had a breakdown. And from that point on, I haven't been able to deal with my eating. The death of a spouse, death of a child um, are usually pretty significant as well. And what is the path to healing like compared with somebody who's been dealing with this their whole life? Is it the same? It's the same. It's the same thing because it's just, it's coming, it's coming to the realization, it's coming to the realization of, of the event, whatever it was, that it was a fact, it happened. And now we have to look at what are the beliefs that you now have based upon that event that happened. And then how how can we reshape and re kind of retweak that event in your, we're giving that story too much airtime and we need to shift it. We need to create a new story and that story needs to be getting more of our attention. So many of us have and it's just the way our brain works. We have negative thought patterns and our brain automatically defaults to that negative thought pattern because it thinks it's protecting us. But the reality is it's setting us up for, for an, uh, an awful lot of, of trials and tribulations when it does that. Um, but it's, it, we have the ability um, to be able to re, you know, to re groove those, the, you know, the areas of our brain that really have those repetitious thoughts. And we have the ability to do that. Most people just don't know that that's within their power. Hmm. So what is the process if somebody finds you? Does does everybody come to you and say, I know I've got a problem with emotional eating? Or is that something they uncover? And how does this work? You know, it's it's interesting. I would say most people, by the time they're ready to see me, they know when they hear the term emotional eating, usually that clicks something in and they say, oh yeah, that's my problem. They they might not have known what their problem was. They knew they had a dysfunctional relationship with food, but they just didn't have a name attached to it. They didn't know what it was called. They just knew that they were having issues with you know eating and they were usually people are overweight. That is not always the case, but in most cases it is. I actually was a was an emotional eater who did not from the outside appear to be overweight. Um, and I probably by standard measures was not overweight. In my mind, I absolutely was. So I had that very distorted uh, body dysmorphia, but also it was very much, um, I was so controlled that I was, I was, I had a lot of coping skills that I was able to cover it up and keep people at distance. So nobody knew what was going on. Um, but, and, and most people, it becomes evident because they do gain weight, but I was very much controlled in that sense that I didn't let that, I tried not to let that happen. 
Does this interfere with relationships? Oh, 100%. Okay. Because you can't let, you can't let anybody, can't let anybody see what's going on. And so most people, uh, there's a lot of eating in secret and, you know, again, hoarding foods, you know, keeping food secret, um, not eating in front of other people. For a long time, I didn't eat in front of people. Um, so that, that has a tendency to happen as well. Hmm. Sounds so stressful to be in this oh it is space. It, it is it's it, it's like it's 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 like being an alcoholic it's like being a drug addict because okay. you don't you just want to you want to try and make there's a lot of a lot of smoke and mirrors a lot of wanting to to help you know not let people see what's actually really going on oh boy rough um do you find this is more of a problem with women than men is that why you primarily help them I primarily help, you know, I'm going to be honest. I primarily help women because I really did think it was more of a female problem, but I actually have started, um, I have had men reach out to me and I have had men as clients. Um, and I think it's just as, I think it's, I think it's a different case with men because there's on top of it with women, there's almost an, from, from a societal standpoint, there's almost more of an acceptance that women are going to have issues with, with their weight and with food. But men are supposed, I think there's a lot of shame for men. Like, well, why am, why, like, why can't I handle my emotions? What's, you know, then it's even more of a, what's wrong with me? I'm supposed to be this tough guy. And so for men to be able to let down their guard enough to be able to talk about it, that in and of itself is really challenging for most men. Um, the the clients that I've had have been very forthcoming. They knew what their issue was and they were ready to talk about it and ready to address it. Hmm. That's so interesting. But food usually, to be honest, the food is, you. that's usually the symptom. There is almost always something much deeper going on inside. Um, oftentimes it's people pleasing, you know, issues with low self-worth, issues with how they feel about themselves and their just their validity within the world. Okay. Well, as a mother of lots of kids and um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what are, what are some tips that parents could know when they're raising their kids about things that we would want to look out for other than saying, here's a lollipop, please be quiet. But um, right. what, what can we do to be supportive and, and recognize the signs I have a lot of, of little ones in my family. I don't have children of my own, but I have a lot of nieces and nephews and great nieces and nephews. And one of the things that I find is very common, and I think this is common amongst parents in general, is this 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 feeling of like, well, I have to get my child to eat something. Like they have they have to eat because something, you know, I'm a terrible parent if I don't make them sit down and have a meal. And I think there is, we as human beings we know when, especially when you're little, you, when you're hungry, you, you're hungry. You'll let somebody know. And when you're not hungry, when kids say they're not hungry, trust them on that and be okay with it and know that you're an, you're an absolutely fabulous parent and that listening to what your child is saying, but if they don't, if this is going on, you know, two or three days and they don't feel like eating, then, then you need to kind of dive into, well, what else is going on? Like, how are you feeling? Because the food them not wanting to eat is merely that surface thing. And there's something else going, there could be something else going on, but really allowing your kids to be able to determine like, when am, when am I hungry? When am I, when do I need to stop eating? I can remember so clearly. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, you probably had the same thing. You know, sitting at the dinner table, you know, everybody else leaves and you're sitting there with, um, for me, it was zucchini, the pile of zucchini. And it's like, oh, I did not want to eat it, but I was not getting, nobody was letting me up from the table mm -hmm. unless my plate was clean. And I was going to eat that zucchini, you know, 
come hell or high water. So that listening to your kids, not only listening to to what they're saying about their hunger cues, but also um, allowing them to to really, you know, allowing them to share what they're feeling and how they're feeling, and and how that might be, you know, crossing over into, um, you know, kind of coming through in in what they're how they're choosing to eat or not eat. That, that's interesting. I know. Um... And my mother will listen to this podcast because she listens to all my podcasts. <laughs> She's wonderful. As my mother does too. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to have a fan, isn't it? And, uh, and that was a thing growing up was that we had, we couldn't leave the table until we had eaten. No. And Mm-mm. meatloaf. I couldn't stand meatloaf. Um, the bird's eye vegetables, the frozen bird's eye mixed vegetables. Yes, of course. I couldn't mm-hmm. wait till everyone left the table because I would sit there and finish off every last vegetable in that dish. I thought it was delicious. I love that. But the meatloaf, I didn't like. Oh, funny. So with my kids, my thing was always, I would like you just to taste it. And if you don't like it, you don't like it because sometimes you just have things you just don't like. And it's, it's just the way it is. So I hope that's okay to at least make, make kids taste it. Or is it better to say you don't even have to try it? Oh no, you can absolutely. I think the, I think keeping kids open-minded and keeping, you know, exposing kids to as many things as you possibly can, I think is great. And what I, what I would also say, and, and one of the things that, that I think is really, is really important, especially when you're in that, you know, eight, nine, 10, gosh, start, get the early teens, especially with girls. And even, and I think it's true with boys too, is really be aware of, and and this actually this even goes when kids are little is really being aware as an adult of how much you talk about food and you talk about like oh I can't have bread oh because bread has carbs I can't do that you know the the restrictive things because we don't think kids are listening they are listening to every single thing you say and so as as careful as many people are about not using profanity around children we should really also watch the food talk or the diet talk or the critical talk that we oftentimes will have about others about, oh, you saw that person gained weight or this, you know, oh, that family member, that was the way it was in my family. It was, we called Mm. it the fat report. You know, it's like, you knew that, you knew that somebody was going to, you know, there were, I can remember so clearly my, my mom being hesitant to see certain relatives because she'd say, I know they're, I know they're going to either say something to me about my weight or they'll say something behind my back about my weight. And so we have to be really aware because kids hear that. And even if it's not directed at them, they're hearing that talk. And as an authority and a powerful figure in their lives, we have to remember that they don't, they don't, they don't have the ability to make those kinds of, of, of judgments or decisions yet. And so they're going to take whatever they hear around them and take them as their own. Mm. We have to be very careful about that. That's really good advice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have yeah. to, I'm going to have to reflect on that one in my own household, you know, because <laughs> yeah, we've yeah, got no. a little one. I want to make sure mm-hmm, maybe I could not mm-hmm. screw up the last one. Maybe <laughs> 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 I could get that one out the door sane. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So other than your own success story, do you have any people that you've coached that are especially like one of your favorite stories or two that you... Oh, oh yeah. I have, I have, I have quite a few. I actually... I have a, a client who, I, uh, she's 74. She knew she wanted to lose weight. She didn't really know that it was emotional eating until we started working together. She became a member of my Facebook group. I have a Facebook group. It's called Breakthrough Emotional Eating. And it's okay. a free group on Facebook. And um, it uh, she became a member and did a, a little three-day challenge that I did. She really 
came to the conclusion that she was like, I, this is like the, the emotional eating is, this is what I, the, I, like I, she resonated with everything I was talking about. And she said, oh my gosh, I never knew there was a name to it, but exactly what you're talking about is exactly what I've been struggling with. And so she joined my, I had a, a an eight week boot camp um, that, and again, I use the term boot camp. It's not, no exercise involved. It's just okay. a, you know, just a ba- real basic stuff. Um, in fact, one of the things that, that I, um, as a coach, I, I don't, I help people lose weight, but I don't like, there's no, I don't tell people what to eat. I, there's no meal plan. I don't tell people what to eat. Um, I teach people how to listen to their bodies to, to realize like, what are the cues of hunger? What are the cues of satiety? Because most people don't know those. And I just teach people that, you know, it's, it's super basic three meals a day. There's no snacking in between and you eat what you want and love to eat because when because for an emotional eater and I think for most people in general the reason why diets don't work is they are an artificial period of time they're an artificial place that we put ourselves in eating cauliflower and broccoli and dry chicken breast for a month and then we get to this nirvana that we think is the ideal and then we go right back to where the way we were eating because who wants to eat that way for the rest of your life nobody. And so what I try to teach people is I show people that you can eat, in fact, what you love. You can take care of yourself in that way, but you can also take care of yourself by recognizing that your body doesn't need all that extra food. And what most of my clients realize is they were eating twice as much food as their body actually needed Um, and that they wanted the food, but they didn't need it. And so it was recognizing what is the difference between a want and a need? And that most of the time, our desire to overeat is a desire that's created in our, in our own minds. And that we create those thoughts of like, I need, like, I want this food, I want this food. And we, could, we say it's a need, but the reality is it's not a physical need, it's an emotional need. And so it's really trying to get them to differentiate where's the difference between something being an emotional need and being a um, a physical need. But this particular client really recognized that this was her this was her thing, and so she just followed the program and currently is is twenty three pounds down. And she said, at seventy four years old, I had pretty much given up, and it was not that that I didn't think that this was going to be something that I was ever going to be able to get control of. And she said, and I see myself living this way for the rest of my life because she's like, there's nothing I can't eat, but I now know how to eat and I know why I'm eating. And that's, and that's the most important thing. That's, that's great. Yeah. That's really good. And, and, and there's a whole thing about self-love too. That's Mm -hmm. the other piece is that we have to, because so much of dieting ends up being like a punitive, really. It, it really ends up being a punitive situation. And so I really emphasize everything is about loving yourself. Everything is about building yourself up. And that again, somebody who has a weight issue, it's really not about weight. It's, it's never really about food. When somebody overeats, it's really not about food. There's an underlying issue that, that needs to be addressed. And that's, that's kind of where the detective work comes in and trying to figure out what is that underlying issue, the real core issue that we really need to be dealing with. Mm. Have you ever had a case where you just couldn't couldn't get to the yeah. bottom? Someone was so close they yeah. couldn't. And they and they just weren't ready. Yeah. Yep. Okay. No, exactly. No, I, I definitely and I, I I definitely had a client like that. You know, we we parted ways very amicably because she just said she was I can't figure out what this is, and she's like, and I'm just not ready. I'm not at a place 
states where I'm, I just, I, I can tell you, honestly, I can't figure out what it is. I wish I could. And I'm just not, I just, I can't open up anymore. And I totally respected that. And, and so, you know, I, it was, the door is always open. And if she ever wants, when she's ready and wants to come back and work, then I'm absolutely there for her. But yeah, I've definitely had some clients that, and usually it actually, I shouldn't say usually it is always clients that do not want to, they don't want to look, they're scared. They're scared of what they're going to find when they start to open up and they start to, to really dig in to what the deeper issue is. And that just tells me that they're, that the pain that they're living in right now is not bad enough for them to really want to take that other step of really un, uncovering things. It's kind of very similar to, and I have a number of, I have, an, I have a number of people in my group as well as a number of family members who are, who are in recovery. And most of, actually all of them say, you know, for somebody who stops, who stops drinking, it's not like life gets better, right? Life does not get better. Life gets exponentially worse when you stop drinking because you've taken away that, that we call it a buffer. You've, you've taken away the buffer that kind of keeps the emotional pain away. And when you take that away, then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, now you have to deal with everything. So it definitely is a situation where it gets worse before it gets better, but then it gets exponentially better. So it's just, it's just working through that, that, that fearful place. I'm wondering, as you're saying that, like sometimes there'll be a case where maybe the wife loses a lot of weight and the husband's frustrated afterwards, or maybe friends are because we did this thing together. We we ate a lot of ice cream Sundays together. So you've ruined our you ruined our special time. Or it's with alcoholics too. Well, what about our Friday night binge drinking? Uh, I imagine some people would go through some loss or changes in relationships with this. Abs- absolutely, absolutely, and 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 what that's another thing that that I um, that I address. And that's part of the the life coaching portion of it is we all have to, and this goes for every single human being, we all have to recognize that our feelings and our thoughts and whatever we have going on with us, that's our stuff to deal with. And what anybody else is dealing with is their thing. And so we have to kind of, we have to stay in our own lane and recognize that somebody else's feelings about you. So like as you change your behaviors and you choose not to do things anymore, someone else's feelings about your change is none of your business. That's their feelings and they can keep them. And it's really letting people, because most of the time when those circumstances are happening, people are falling into that people pleasing. Like I'm going to do this because I'm going to make this other person happy and I'm going to forego what I really want because I want to, you know, my spouse, my kids, I want to keep them happy. And so um, to be honest, most emotional eaters are people pleasers. And that is, that is something that I see a very strong correlation between those things. And so we address that as well as how do you set boundaries? How do you feel confident enough? How do you believe in yourself enough to know that you are in fact important enough to put yourself and, and, and be okay with someone not being happy with you? Yeah. Wow. And that's just life. I mean, that's just a, that's a life thing. <laughs> yeah, true. But this is quite a journey someone has to go on. A worthwhile journey, but really quite a journey they have to go through to transform their whole way of thinking and being. Absolutely. My client who is, who has done so well, she is my, she's my spokesperson, but she always is, always says in the group with everybody, it is not about the food. It's about all, everything else. And so really the, the programs and the things that I work through with my clients they will all attest and they always will share that like when, when they either do a one-on-one call or we do a group coaching call, we don't talk about food. 
We don't talk about like, you know, how much, how much did you eat or what were you eating? It's like, that is so unimportant. We talk about everything other than food. We talk about, you know, how you were feeling, your emotions, your, your ability to, to cope, you know, did you take time for yourself? Are you doing self-care? All of those things come together. So it, it really, and it really infiltrates all aspects of your life. So addressing weight is really not about addressing weight. It's really about addressing, addressing all aspects of your life. Because when weight comes on, it's usually not about, somebody doesn't say, I want to be overweight, so I'm going to eat a lot. It, they're, used, they're eating because of something else that's going on. Yeah, really interesting. It's so, so wonderful that you discovered this about yourself and then now you're able to yeah. help so many people. Yes, it took a long time. I mean, I would have to say that was the, that was the, the, the thing for me is that it, it, I wished I, I wished I had had the courage earlier, but I don't regret. I think my, my path and my journey has been exactly as it's supposed to. I always believe that things happen in a way that the, in, in the way that they unfold is the way they're supposed to unfold. Even as uncomfortable as they've been at times, it's always, it's my journey is supposed to be this way. And so, and I know that this was done for me. It wasn't done to me. It was done for me so I could then share with other people and be able to help others um, because it's always been my goal to empower others so they don't have to go through what I went through because I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. And so it's really important for me that that I share with others what I can in order to so they can hopefully not have it be a 30-year journey before they get to the point of, of being ready to start facing things. Yeah. What a great purpose. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. It's <laughs> <laughs> really wonderful. Uh, this is personal, but so how about your family with all of this? Has this been, do you have a lot of support? Oh, I do. Absolutely. I do. I, it's really, it's interesting. Um, actually, when I was, when I started writing my book, my, I, I had to, I you know, told my mom I was going to write a book about emotional eating. And, and I, I said, nah, I'm not quite sure how, you know, you and, yeah, and you and dad are going to feel about this. And, um, and she said, oh, she said, no, it's exactly what, that's exactly what happened. And she, and she said something that was so, so profound. And I wrote it, I wrote it, in my book. And it was that, you know, she said, your father and I did the best we could. Like we didn't know there's no, she's like, we were only doing what we could do Beautiful. and we can't, you know, and she's like, and I think that's true with every parent. And I said, mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. And it was when I let go of my feelings, like, well, why did this happen to me? And why was this, why this, why this, why this? And finally just was like, no, this was just everybody, everybody in this situation was doing the best that they could. And so, and now it's my responsibility to take care of my life and to decide what I want to get out of this and how I want. And this is, this is, I am like, I am the poster child for looking at your life and saying, I'm going to make something really positive out of something that I could absolutely stay bitter and negative about my upbringing and, and where it took me and, and the pain that I went through. Or I could say, nope, this is not, this is not how I want my life to be. And I'm going to, and I'm going to, I'm going to look for the positives and then I'm going to make something else out of it. And that's what I chose to do. So. I love that. I think I've, that's one thing I've advised my kids all the time is, you know, everyone does the best they can. It doesn't necessarily even mean it's good enough. It just means they've done the best they can. And now you get to learn from it and you get to make mental notes. So I'm not doing that. I'm not going to be like that. And that's a teacher in your life and great and you can move on. But I, I, I admire that you did that. That's really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's been cool. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like us to know? 
I think if anything, I, I would tell any of your listeners that if you if you're feeling like you come to the end of the day and you're like, okay, what, where, you know, what, if you're, if you're at a place where you're not happy with, with your, with how you feel, you know, feel within your own body, feel within your own skin. Um, if you feel like, okay, like, gosh, I've been gaining weight. I don't understand why this is happening. And you're feeling that, that, that discomfort and food is something that is constantly on your mind, even though you don't want it to be, then that's probably, you're probably leaning more in that direction of being an emotional eater. And, and I would just tell everybody, you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. It just means that your, your fabulousness has just gotten covered up by a lot of limiting beliefs that are kind of blocking the true you from being there. And so it's just a question of just going in and figuring out Okay, where you know what what are the beliefs that I have that are kind of kind of dampening my true spirit and you know getting those to get, letting go of those those limiting beliefs and bringing back beliefs that are really true to who you are right now and that but I never want people to think that they're broken that there's something wrong with them it's just you you've gotten a lot of us have a lot of stuff that comes on in our lives and uh, and it's just kind of peeling that stuff back and kind of getting to our true essence and really knowing who we you know remembering who we are, and then going from there. Mm, I love that. Thank, yeah. thank you so much for coming on today. I really learned Absolutely. a lot. And I'm sure oh, listeners, listeners learned a lot too. So just, just to remind you, if you're listening, Kristen's website is kristenjonescoaching.com. And Kristen is K-R-I-S-T-I-N, Jones, J-O-N-E-S, coaching.com. And she also has a podcast called The Breakthrough Emotional Eating Podcast. And she has a book, uh, let me find my notes here, uh, When Food is Your Drug, which you can find on Amazon. You can also go to her website and find the link for that there. But thank you so much for bringing your expertise here to share with us. Thank you. I really appreciate the time. And I, I just, I, I love talking about this. So thank you so much for, uh, for letting me be a guest. I'm, yeah, your I'm really passion, honored. your passion really comes through. So for those of you who've been listening, thank you so much for staying with us on this episode. You can catch this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Please consider coming by our website, alternativehealthtools.com and leave us an audio message. There's a little blue circle on the page and it's got a mic in it. Click on that, leave us a question, give us some feedback or just say hi. We'd love to hear from you.